Palm Sunday 2019, one year ago, was a wild, wild day here at Covenant. We had storms blow through the night before, and when we arrived on Sunday morning for the first of our four worship services, we realized that power had been knocked out to the two primary buildings that we use on Sunday here on campus, our sanctuary and the fellowship and education building. We quickly pivoted and moved the 815 service into Eaton Hall, the original sanctuary uh, for Covenant, and had a team of people working with the power company seeking to restore power for the later services that were coming. When the 815 service ended, uh, I went and met with this team only to be informed that not only was power not going to be restored that morning to our campus, but that we had a live high voltage wire that had come down in the parking lot and posed a danger to people. We quickly had to maneuver and to cancel on-campus worship that day. We had our first online service that took place Palm Sunday a year ago. We had volunteers and staff out in the parking lot turning people away, telling them it was a dangerous situation and trying to get word out to later services as we went. I even had one member of the church come up and look at me and say, we're canceling on-campus worship, but it's Palm Sunday. Do you know it's Palm Sunday? Yes, I knew it was Palm Sunday. I knew more than anyone else it was Palm Sunday. We had been planning for this for weeks, but Palm Sunday doesn't make you immune to high-voltage electricity. We quickly arranged a a service with a little bit of music, and uh, it was filmed and put online on, on Facebook Live through a cell phone. And when the day came to an end, we breathed a sigh of relief and said, hopefully we never have to do anything like that again. Little did we know that 2020 was lurking in the future saying, just wait. But despite COVID-19, despite this era of social distancing, we are worshiping today. We are worshiping on Palm Sunday. We are going to be worshiping as we go into Holy Week. And we are going into it with a sense of hopeful expectation. Now, in the passage of Scripture that Jill read this morning, it's important when we talk about Palm Sunday to be aware of the different symbols that are alive in this passage because the symbols are very important on Palm Sunday. One of these symbols is how we refer to this week, Palm Sunday. There's four different things that I want to mention that all of us need to be on the same page about to understand in terms of the symbolism in this text. The first is is that Passover is when Jesus and his disciples are entering into Jerusalem. And Passover remembers the liberation of uh, the Hebrew people from slavery in Egypt. Now, this would have been really important because you have the people now occupied, not by Pharaoh, but by Caesar. Israel was now under a military dictatorship from Rome. And they were a people living in military occupation and dealing with the hardship of that. And so when Jesus came in for the Passover, the city of Jerusalem had pilgrims coming from all over who would have been teeming with a revolutionary fever. That just as God had delivered the people once before from Pharaoh, God would do it again. The second thing that we see is that as Jesus enters the city, they're waving palm branches. Well, this was not just random things that people grabbed off the ground and said, wave this. Palm branches were a sign of of nationalism for the Jewish people. So as they waved the palm branches, they would have been saying that we not only want the Romans kicked out, but we want our nation state restored. The third symbol we see is in what the crowds are shouting as Jesus enters in. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, they say. Well, these are not just words that someone made up on the spot. They're quoting one of the Psalms, specifically Psalm 118. 
And Psalm 118 was a very special psalm for the Hebrew people. It was a psalm that was used when a military victory was being celebrated. So they knew that the Messiah was coming in. They were saying to Jesus, we're ready for you to lead us and to overthrow the Romans. We're ready for a military victory. The symbols tell us all of this. And we see that the symbols aren't just there with the crowd. They're there with Jesus as well because Jesus is riding a donkey. This is not how he normally traveled. Rather, in riding a donkey, he is fulfilling, and John tells us this, the words from the prophet Zechariah in chapter 9, where Zechariah 9 says that uh, the Messiah comes to liberate his people and he'll enter Jerusalem on a donkey. So as the crowds are saying, this is who we believe you are, it's important to see in the symbolism that Jesus is saying, I am the one you've been waiting on. I am the Messiah, the Savior. Today in your holy attention, Lenten devotion is a piece of artwork that depicts this. It's from the year 1305 from the Italian artist Giotto. And we see each of these symbols captured here. We see the crowd swelling and literally spilling out of the city walls and the gates. We see them there for the Passover. We see people climbing trees to cut down palm branches. We see some of them waving their palm branches saying that we're ready for our nation state to be restored. We see and can almost imagine them shouting, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, quoting Psalm 118. And we see Jesus front and center on a donkey saying, I am the one you've been waiting for. I am the Messiah. Now, what takes place after this in the passage Jill read is a, is a kind of strange part of scripture that is really only found in the gospel of John. And it talks about two people from Greece who've witnessed these events. And after they're over, they go to two of Jesus' disciples, Philip and Andrew, and say, we'd like to have a meeting with Jesus. And so Philip and Andrew go and ask Jesus, will you meet with these two people from Greece? And Jesus gives this very curious reply where he starts talking about his death. He starts talking about the fact that, that he's going to die and that his death has a greater purpose, that he says it will bear great fruit. I can imagine Philip and Andrew sitting there going, did you just see the crowds? The Pharisees are even saying that the crowds are with you. You have this power. Why are you talking about dying? And by the way, yes or no? Are you going to meet with the two people from Greece? But what Jesus is saying here is that while we have seen and the people are expecting a Messiah who will overthrow Rome, Jesus from the beginning is saying that the Messiah the people want and the Messiah that they get are not necessarily the same things. It puts events on a collision course as we go through this week where eventually the crowds will turn and reject Jesus when they realize he is not fulfilling what they believe that he should. And to be fair to them, it's not that they're just spoiled. They are living under Roman dictatorship. They are living every day under the threat of violence, of crucifixion, of fear, of oppression. It was the obvious thing that Jesus should do is to overthrow and to liberate his people again. If God loves them so much, if God is all powerful, how could the Messiah ignore their situation? I want us to actually in our minds and in our hearts this day go to those places in our own lives and in our society where we wonder how could a good God not fix this situation? Because each of us have those places. Each of us in our lives and our families have prayers that we prayed that went unanswered in the way that we wanted, healing for ourselves or for people who we love, tragic situations where the question starts to bubble within us. If you're so loving, if God is so good, if God is so powerful, how can this be part of the plan? We're seeing this in an age of COVID-19 right now 
where we as a society are kind of asking the question, how is this possible? And if God's so good, how does God allow this suffering that experts tell us here in Austin might actually increase in the weeks to come? Where is God in the middle of all of this? It's important we go to those places individually and as a society to understand what it was like to be the crowd that day to celebrate the Messiah coming and to have him not do what you think he should do. And the question before us is will we respond the same and reject the Messiah that we're given when the Messiah we're given is not the Messiah we might want? Professor and author Ruth Haley Barton wrote an article recently about how to be a Christian in an age of COVID-19, and I think it helps us seek to navigate these confusing waters. She says that too many times Christians want prefabricated answers. Here's the problem. If God's real, God should answer it in this way. We see this in Palm Sunday, and we see it in our own lives. What Ruth Haley Barton suggests is rather than insisting on certain answers from God, which is playing God, what Ruth Haley Barton suggests in these confusing times is as Christians, we need to learn to ask better questions. Jesus is riding the donkey. He is the Messiah. He is the Savior. And he is redeeming the world. He's just not there to overthrow a particular military dictator, but the redemption work, the saving work that he is doing this week is so vast and so profound that the people can't imagine it. Ruth Haley Barton says that you and I need to start learning to ask certain questions to see the redemptive work that Jesus is doing in our confusing age today. Three questions that she poses. The first is this. She says that we need to be asking the question, God, what are you doing in all this and how can I join you in it? What are you doing in all this and how can I join you in it? I know that you're riding a donkey. I believe that you are the Messiah. It's confusing to me why you're not showing up in certain ways right now, but I believe that you are at work in this and I want to participate and join you. I want to follow your agenda, not insist that you follow my agenda. What would it mean if we all sat in that question this week? Second question that she proposes is, what are you saying, God, and how can I hear you better? And the vastness of the noise that's going on in our minds and in our hearts and in our world right now, how do we learn to listen and hear for the voice of God, the leading of God? And third, she says, what are the works of God waiting to be revealed in me and in each of us through this COVID-19 global crisis? What is the work that God wants to do in us as individuals and in us as families and in us as a society? If God's redeeming and changing things, we're going to be participants. We're going to be part of that change. God is doing something within us. And indeed, God might start using us to be his agents of love and healing in this world. These are questions he suggests we need to be asking. And I think they're, they're very applicable on Palm Sunday in this week because I don't know about you. But while it's somewhat confusing to me what God might be doing in these times, I have seen God at work. Yes, I've seen people hoarding toilet paper and, and hoarding supplies, but I've also seen unbelievable acts of generosity that strangers participate in with other strangers in order to serve and to love them. Yes, I've seen people uh, just riddled with fear and, and of self-serving in this time, but I've also seen people who are, who are loving and courageous and serving first responders, medical community that is an example for all of us in this time. I've seen God at work, and I want to join him in that. And like many of you this week, I saw and was touched by the story of John and Ann Klein. If you didn't know this story, John and Ann Klein are a couple that have been married for 45 years in Montgomery, Alabama. And recently, Ann was diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease. And as her disease progressed, she 
was forced to make the decision to go live in an assisted living facility. But every day, her husband, John, would come and visit her. And as her memory started to uh, regress, one of the ways that John could uh, engage with her was through song, through singing with her. And that she would often start singing songs that she had grown up with, hymns of the church. Well, this assisted living facility where Anne is now living, like many facilities around the nation right now, are no longer allowing visitors. John can no longer go visit his beloved wife. But the image before you was taken by an employee of the assisted living facility because not being able to go into the room with her has not stopped John from visiting. This is a picture of John standing outside of his wife's room, outside of the facility, singing to her through the pane of glass. And in the moment that this picture was taken, Anne begins singing along with John as well to the words of the song Amazing Grace. And husband and wife, separated by a disease and separated by walls and glass and windows, are walking together. He's not the Messiah that we might expect, but he is the Messiah. He enters Jerusalem riding on a donkey. Jesus is saying, I am who you think I am. And the work of redemption that he is doing is still being written in our COVID-19 world today. This week, may we not insist on prefabricated answers from our Messiah but may we ask better questions so that we can engage in the great work of redemption that he is writing in this world. Hallelujah and amen.